All right. Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of the Neuroflex podcast. I am your host, Toby Passman. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of photobiomodulation before. Uh, this is uh, basically light therapy, where it involves red and near-infrared light energy that gets absorbed into the mitochondria and various tissues of the body, and including the brain, which is chock full of mitochondria. So at Neuroflex, we use photobiomodulation helmet specifically to uh, stimulate the brain. Uh, this causes increased blood flow and oxygenation, decreased inflammatory cytokines, also increases neurogenesis and synaptogenesis, which is the growth of new brain cells and new connections amongst those cells. So if that's something that interests you, if you're in the Fort Lauderdale, Miami area, we do currently offer that as a mobile service. So go ahead and check us out at www.neuroflex.com and uh, you can learn more there. On to today's show, uh, we have a very special guest, uh, Nicholas Kadish. Uh, Nicholas uh, has spent the majority of his career helping companies navigate complex regulatory risk in healthcare. After a career in government at the federal and provincial uh, levels, he has served as head of corporate affairs at Jewel Labs Canada, government affairs and public leader at GE Healthcare, and director of public affairs for Red Bull Canada. Nick is the founder of Pharmala Biotech, uh, dedicated to the manufacture of MDMA and MDXX class molecules for pharmaceutical research. So Nick, super excited to have you on the show today. Thanks. I'm super excited to be here. This is going to be fun. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit. It sounds like you've had a really interesting career. Tell me about a little of your, you know, your yeah. path and what's what's eventually led you here to the, the psychedelic yeah. industry. Um. So yeah, a lot of people are just like, what, what the hell are you doing here, man? Um, and, and I could see how, if you just look at me as, as like a lobbyist, I could see how people would, would sort of say that. Um, but in, in point of fact, like my career has basically been on sort of like, uh, I've always worked for companies that are sort of on the, on the edge of what is permissible by health regulators. So um, you know, I worked in government a long time ago, like a thousand years ago. And then, uh, you know, I went to Red Bull, which is obviously food and beverage, but it's, you know, it's an energy drink. So it's fairly highly regulated for the food and beverage category. Uh, and that was like, if you remember 2013, like, man, that was like as crazy as people got was a little caffeine in a can. Um, you know, and then obviously, you know, I worked in medical devices at GE and then I did vaping at Juul. Um, and so like, basically I've moved along with what is sort of what society is sort of willing to accept. Uh, and obviously, uh, you know, the last, the last domain left was, you know, psychedelic drugs. Like what else is there? Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So, so your company, <laughs> your company focuses uh, mainly on MDMA uh, and MDXX, right? So yeah, I think probably a lot of people who are listeners of the show know a little about MDMA. Uh, I have not actually heard of MDXX before. Tell me a little about yeah. that molecule. So, so MDXX, it's not a molecule. It's basically the category of entheogens. Uh, actually, I should say intactogens, not entheogens. Intactogens that are um, sort of direct analogs of MDMA. So it's okay. the it's the uh, you know it's it's the shorthand for the chemical class of molecules that are closest to MDMA. And in our conception, it. Um, uh, it has one big uh, sort of defining characteristic, which is uh, MDMA is the only drug that we really have that has this like very strong pro-social effect. 
and uh, that's what we focus on. So um, we we want to we want to see molecules that have that strong prosocial effect. We think it's hugely important from a therapeutic perspective. Uh, and what we look for is actually molecules that actually improve on the safety profile of MDMA on top of the sort of prosocial effect. Right, right. So, yeah, what are what are some of the kind of side effects uh, that that MDMA has? And then what are some of the other molecules that um, have been kind of developed to maybe improve that safety profile? So uh, so look, first, I will say before a whole bunch of people get angry at me. Right. Um, I, I think uh, under the circumstances that MAPS has put together. So uh, three MDMA assisted psychotherapy sessions over three months. Um, I think MDMA is absolutely perfectly safe under those circumstances, right? But those are pretty limited circumstances. Um, so, you know, me having a regulatory background, my team, like, you know, our, our entire company, we're, we're sort of, we're really focused on the regulatory side of this. We really believe that uh, companies are only going to be successful in psychedelics if they understand sort of the the perspective of FDA or Health Canada, or you know, you know, a UK medicines agency, whatever the regulator is in your country. If you don't understand how they sort of view you, then you're you're going to have a very hard time being successful because drugs are rightfully, you know, highly regulated. So, um, so uh, putting aside the MAPS protocol, for instance, if you want to expand the use of MDMA to other treatment protocols, maybe have it taken more often, maybe have it taken by people who you know, who MAPS has basically excluded, um, you know, as a, for instance, um, you know, MAPS has excluded anyone who has uh, any cardiac or vascular issues in their, in their, um, uh, in their sort of patient history. Well, I mean, to be frank, I think that kind of discounts anyone over the age of 65, right? I mean, I don't know a lot of 65 year olds and up who have zero vascular and zero cardiac issues, right? So uh, we wanted to focus on that. We wanted to focus on hyperthermia, which is like a known side effect of MDMA. Um, uh, but we can we can talk a little bit more about sort of what we're trying to achieve with our with our novel molecules as well. What about uh, neurotoxicity, which I know is a very debated topic in terms of MDMA yeah. and, and potentially related to yeah. you know, dosage. But yeah, what, what's what's your take on that? And are there analogs that have less of a potential neurotoxic yeah. effect? Yeah, I think so. Um, uh, look, I, I'm also like, look, I, I'm also not 100% on neurotox. Uh, I think we we view uh, we view toxicology first in acute terms and then in chronic terms. So uh, so obviously, um, uh, you know, you want to make sure that you can treat people on the day that they're getting their treatment and do it properly without them having any sort of negative uh, adverse effect, uh, events. Um, I think that the neurotox is tied into the hyperthermia, to be honest with you. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, I, whatever, I, you know, I, there's a great line that I will, I will be very clear is not mine because I hate uh, unattributed quotes. Uh, but we do a lot of work with uh, a brilliant researcher named uh, William Fantagrossi at University of Arkansas. And, uh, and his quote was, you know, like, when, 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 we have, uh, when we have effects in the brain that we like, and it involves sort of structural changes in the brain, we call that neuroplasticity, and it's great. And when we have those like exact same mechanisms, but we don't like their effects, we call that neurotoxicity or like axonomy, and we, and we say it's bad. 
So I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's two sides of the same coin. I think he's absolutely right. But uh, we just have to be watchful for those negative, negative effects. And if we're seeing them, then that's obviously a problem. Got it. Now, what about in terms of, you know, I know a lot of the research with MDMA, at least, you know, MAPS is focused on PTSD treatment. Um, what are some of the other uh, focuses in the research currently with, with MDMA or MDXX uh, related, you know, analogs? And, and some of their therapeutic potential? Well, look, I, I think MDMA is really, really good at two things, right? It's really good at, um, at extinguishing conditioned fear response. And so that opens up the door to like all kinds of stuff. For instance, you know, anxiety disorders, I consider those fear disorders. PTSD, of course, there's been a ton of work done. Uh, phobias, I think MDMA is excellent for phobias. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, maybe less so for like generalized anxiety disorder. Because, uh, you know, unless you know what the trigger uh, is that's setting off that generalized anxiety disorder, then you're going to have a hard time treating it. But uh, the other thing that um, that uh, MDMA is very, very in, you know good at is generating this pro-social effect. It's like the only drug we have that generates a pro-social effect. And uh, there's been brilliant research out of Johns Hopkins where uh, one of the researchers there, who I apologize, I forget her name, but she actually dosed an octopus with MDMA. And it made the of us more social. Uh, and so and like, like an octopus is about as far away from like from an evolutionary perspective. It's like about as far away from a human being as you could possibly get uh, while still staying on planet Earth, right? So uh, obviously like MDMA taps into something that is like very primal uh, in not just human sort of biology, but you know, the biology of all animals on the planet, basically, I, I would think. Um, so, uh, we're really interested in social anxiety because it is the convergence of those two things. It's a convergence of, uh, of sort of, uh, a fear disorder, but where that pro-social effect can be incredibly helpful. Um, but listen, I'll also give a shout out to couples therapy. I think MDMA could be great for couples therapy, but that's not a disorder. It's not in the DSM. So you can't prescribe for it. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So that's that's interesting. I mean, you know, just in terms of like social anxiety, you know, there was a study, I think, looking at like social anxiety in autistic adults um, in terms of like MDMA treatment. Is, yeah. But it's Charles Grobe and Alicia Danforth at UCLA. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. Study. Very, 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 very interesting work. We've spoken to Charles. I mean, he thinks that the results were very, very durable. So uh, we're we're very, very interested in that kind of work. Right. And I mean, expanding on that, I mean, I feel like it, it could just have such widespread applications. I mean, I don't know the specific Probably. statistics, but like, I mean, there's going to be so many people out there dealing with, you know, some amount of social anxiety. And if this could be something That's that, funny. you know, no, especially could, after, especially after we've all been locked in our houses for two years. <laughs> no kidding. I mean, this is, yeah, it's extremely so. I mean, people are so yeah. used to just isolating and it's like, we try to come back out and socialize. It's like we haven't used that social muscle in so long. You know, it's a good point. Yeah. Do you see like, because I know it's like, I mean, I guess you know, with with like social anxiety disorder, you know, diagnosed, is that something that we're going to see a lot more clinical trials come out? You know, with with MDMA. Uh, I would hope so. Uh, certainly, I'd love to see one of our analogs uh, in in clinical for uh, that indication. I also, uh, I mean, like uh, the other interesting thing that you mentioned is that that um, that Charles Grubb, Alicia Danforth study focused on um, folks with ASD, with autism spectrum disorder. 
And one of the interesting things that we've discovered in our in our rodent models is, uh, in point of fact, autistics react very, very differently to MDMA than neurotypical people. Um, and I have I, I am I am certainly not qualified to say why or even to hypothesize why. All we know is there is there is clearly enough of a structural difference in sort of the autistic brain that they react differently to MDMA. So uh, I'm hoping that uh, some of the research that that we do that other people do can can sort of unlock some of the the mysteries of autism and why you know these structural changes occur and how they occur. Um, but uh, but also that we can we can help some folks. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, tell me about like some of the the projects that you guys are involved in right now. It sounds like you guys are working with some different universities. Like, tell me about kind of the most intriguing things that you guys are working on. Well, look, in August, I, you know, I always give ourselves a shout out for this, but in August, we became the first uh, company other than MAPS um, to have to have produced clinical grade MDMA, GMP MDMA. Um so MAPS has a uh, investigator uh, sponsorship program where they will give you MDMA if you're a you know, university professor with you know, an idea that you want to experiment on um, you know, clinically, obviously. Uh, they, will, they will provide drug for investigator-sponsored research, but they don't have enough for everybody. Uh, and so uh, this is sort of part of why we founded the company at a certain point when we were doing our own clinical research planning uh, we started talking to a whole bunch of researchers and everyone was like, man, like there's no MDMA, you know, uh, we want to do research. We'd love to do more research, but, you know, MAPS has limited supply and they can't provide it to everybody. And there's regulatory limitations to who they can give it to. And so I had an early conversation with Rick Doblin where I was like, hey, man, I'm going to make some MDMA and provide it to clinical researchers. Is that cool? Uh, and to his credit, uh, Rick, who's an amazing guy, obviously, was like, yeah, cool, do it um you know in the interest of science the answer is yes uh so in august we we made our first clinical batch and yeah we support universities all over the world you know before in the preamble we were talking i mentioned university of california um we're supporting several universities in uh, in uh australia but also you know other companies uh charities um and of course we're also uh we're also really interested up here in canada we have this special access program. So we can actually, we can treat patients. Um, it's it's a difficult process and it's cumbersome and et cetera, but it's doable. So I'm really hoping that um, before the end of January, we do the first uh, patient treatment through the special access program with MDMA in Canada. And would that look similar to like the MAPS research where there are totally. you know, two therapists, they're doing you know therapy throughout the session? Yeah, um, I, I made a promise to Rick that we would only give MDMA to therapists who are uh, who are sort of, I mean, not not just approved by Health Canada, but also who are trained in psychedelic psychotherapy. So I would assume that they're going to use the MAPS protocol. Um, but yeah, for sure. Got it. Now, what what other applications are you aware of, like these different universities that that you've been supplying MDMA to? Like, what other things are they researching? Uh, well, if I if I told you the protocols that our partners <laughs> were going to research, they'd get pretty ticked off at me. So I Got won't it. tell you that. I think I think look, uh, I will say there's there's hugely exciting stuff happening right now in MDMA research. I think the increased availability of MDMA is actually uh, a really important part of that, right? Like um, having clinical trial materials sort of easily accessible 
uh, allows researchers to go off on like tangents and new directions and really frankly like do good science uh, which is the whole point of us getting into the sort of generic MDMA manufacturing business in the first place. And then for our own research, uh, we have sort of uh, three families of molecules that we've patented ourselves. And the first of these is uh, the ALA family. Um, that one we're taking to the Food and Drug Administration on the 30th of November, two weeks away. So we're going to have a pre-IND meeting and we're basically going to ask them to be, allow us into, into clinical, allow us to start uh, dosing human beings with it. And hopefully they say yes. We'll see what happens. Very cool. Very cool. And so that, that's one that you expect that there's going to be a better safety profile compared to MDMA. Yeah, definitely. yeah I think ALA has uh, certainly on cardio talks. I, I'm very confident that we've, uh, uh, that we've, uh, uh, nailed it uh, on on cardiotoxicology. Uh, ultimately, look. Ultimately, all of our claims will get assessed by the agency, and they will decide whether you know whether our data is up to snuff or not. Uh, but that was our goal for sure: improve the cardiotoxicology, uh, and then and then uh, eliminate that hyperthermia effect. Because if you can eliminate that, then maybe you can start to uh, to look at you know like uses of MDMA with less monitoring. Um, you know, like look. The way I see it in this industry, we are so focused on drug development that we've kind of forgotten that like, that's just the first step. After you're done with drug development, you need to do market access and like worry about reimbursement from insurers. And, you know, somebody has got to pay for all these treatments and we have to train all these therapists. So, you know, all of the sort of the news and everything else about psychedelics, this is just like the, the first half of the first inning uh, to use a baseball analogy, and uh, we're we're sort of focused on sort of the the second and third innings, which is you know the maps protocol is remarkable. It's obviously uh, you know to my mind, there's no question that it is clinically highly effective in treating PTSD. Can we do anything to get the cost down? Right? Can we do anything to get this like uh, you know reimbursed by more insurers? Uh, and obviously, cost is a big part of that. Right? So. Um, if we can improve the safety profile, it's not just regulators who will appreciate that, although I hope that they will. Um, it's also sort of patients and the other other actors in the healthcare system that, that could appreciate it, especially if we can uh, prove MDMA's efficacy as a standalone without psychotherapy. Right, right. There is actually a really interesting um interesting presentation that I saw at Wonderland, um, the psychedelic conference in Miami recently. Um, I'm, I'm blanking on, it was a Johns Hopkins, uh, I believe it was a Johns Hopkins researcher, um, uh, Dr. Matthew Johnson. Um, he was the one who gave a presentation. Yeah. I don't know if you saw, but, um, you know, just basically assessing, like, I think it was like self-reported, you know, measures like depression, anxiety, yeah. um, PTSD, and seeing like people who weren't using it in conjunction with therapy, they weren't totally. using like, you know, um, medical grade stuff, you know, it was just kind of like self-medicating with this stuff. They saw dramatic improvements. I mean, I think it was like yeah. 87% for depression, 90%, you know, it, like very, very totally. clinically significant improvements. So yeah. Uh, and I mean, uh, look, uh, I, Matt is a brilliant researcher. Um, and I know like, you know, uh, I, I, I didn't see that particular presentation at Wonderland. I saw the recording afterwards, but 
uh, you know, he caveated this, obviously, it's self-reported data, and we mm-hmm. don't deserve proof of anything, and blah, 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 but just a leading indicator. But I think that that is, um, that is enough info that we should be testing this hypothesis, right? Like, let's, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying, yes, it will be effective, or no, it won't be effective. What I am saying is, we should, we should find out, you know, <laughs> well, let's do the research, let's see what happens. Right. Now, when when you sort of look at the the future of MDMA research and just the future of uh, kind of psychedelic therapy in general, like what what do you see taking place over the next like five ten years? Um, is this stuff uh, you know going to be like the access way expanded, or is there still a long ways to go? Yeah, look, there's a there's yeah there's a really long ways to go. Like like I said earlier, I think we're just we're just beginning this journey for psychedelic molecules. And because of the history here, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of pushback, frankly. This is also like, so, so we, uh, you know, we've done a couple of things that we think can help sort of alleviate that pushback. Uh, we talked about the safety side of uh, sort of uh, the molecule and improving that. The other thing is, you know, with like, you know, I spoke at Wonderland and one of my co-panelists basically said something to the effect of, and I don't want to misquote her, but she basically said, you know, the counterculture was right. The hippies were right. Everyone was wrong. And, you know, you like you need to just like, you know, you need to accept that. Uh, to, to which I said, like, you know, I don't I don't agree. You know, to, in addition to the counterculture, there's also, you know, the culture. Um, and there's going to be a whole bunch of people, including, you know, like my immigrant parents who will view this as like scary and dangerous and new. Uh, and uh, I've been in several industries where we got ahead of ourselves, right? We tried to force the issue, and there was a pushback. Um, you know, that happened when I was at Red Bull, that happened with energy drinks in a way that I don't believe was fair. Um, when I was at Juul, that happened with vaping in a way that probably was fair, right? Um, not completely, because, it, you know, again, you know, the, the pushback also, like, sort of go, goes overboard. But there's a very real world in which this happens in psychedelics because lest we forget, like, it already happened once, right? Like, there's a reason that all these molecules were scheduled and criminalized. So I think it behooves us to be, like, careful and thoughtful and bring people along. So up here in Canada, we've started a trade association to do just just that. You know, we have 16 members. We meet with the government. We're We're a voice for sort of thoughtful, methodical, decriminalization regulation medicalization of these molecules um and for any of my colleagues in the u.s who are listening um, start your own trade association make sure that you have a you know make sure that you have a voice representing your industry um so you can get ahead of this rather than fall behind right so are we gonna see any you know like we talk about you know your your past experience with with red bull or jewel are we gonna see these kind of like massive corporations uh you know the 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 jewel per se of psychedelics or of mdma i mean is that is that gonna happen i think so I, i i think it's almost inevitable I don't know that it's going to be like, you know, right now, I don't know what the market leader is in, in vaping anymore. It's not Juul anymore. Not really. Um, but I think most industries, once things shake out, you know, and, and that's, this is like long-term stuff. I'm talking about like in, you know, let's say in 25 years, 
there's probably going to be three big companies because there's always three big companies, you know, you got your Coke, your Pepsi, and I don't know, Dr. Pepper. I don't know who number three is in the beverage <laughs> industry. It might be Red Bull now. I don't know. But, you know, there's, there's sort of, there, there always ends up being three. And that's, that's natural, man. That's human nature. We don't have the bandwidth to think about, you know, to think about more than three of anything. In my opinion, that's just me. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. I mean, that, that definitely, definitely makes sense. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like with the, with the cannabis industry, I feel like we're starting to see some like bigger names like pop up. I know it's still yeah. difficult when it's like, you can't you know, different state regulations, whatever, but it seems like the, the cannabis industry is definitely kind of like moving that way to, to some of the big it'll players. So, yeah. So it yeah, makes it'll sense. It'll shake up for sure. Yeah. Right. And, and like, like, uh, like all this consolidation, it takes time, right? Like right now, look, there's, there's a lot of great companies right now, but we're already kind of starting to see it in psychedelics, like this first wave of consolidation. Um, you know, I don't want to spend the time, like our time talking about capital markets because it's like the most boring part of this industry. But, um, you know, we've seen a couple of companies already run out of money and go out of business. Uh, we're going to see a couple of companies start merging to save themselves, right? Where there's sort of efficiencies. And, you know, if I if I was approached by somebody who said, hey, let's merge, and we saw some really good synergies, I wouldn't say no out of hand. Like, I'm not, I'm not too proud to, you know, band together and, and, and do good work together. So we'll see. Awesome. Now, uh, transitioning a little bit, um, I know you're also, you're, you're the director of Psyched Wellness. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I wanted to hear kind of about, um, kind of what, what that company is. And yeah. uh, if you could talk a little about, I know it's, uh, sure. I saw that it's the first, you guys have an extract that's like the first legal Amanita uh, mascara yeah. extract that's yeah. available. So would love to hear yeah. just some more about that. Yeah. So look, I, I'm a, yeah, I'm a board director at, at Psyched. Um, uh, big shout out to Jeff Stevens and the entire team there. Uh, David Chisel, uh, Matt Singh, uh, really good guys. Uh, doing something completely different than what I do at Farmala. Um, so they have a they have a consumer product that is based on uh, the Amanita muscaria mushroom. Uh, I was brought onto the board, uh, number one, as a corporate director, but also to help them with their regulatory strategy. Uh, and super proud of those guys. So they, um, they got their, uh, their grass uh, certification, uh, which is uh, in the US, it's for food. It's generally recognized as safe. And so they can now sell this Amanita uh, extract um, legally. They're the first ones, I think the only ones. Um, and I know there's been some news about like some sort of Amanita sales going on illegally, uh, which again, like, you know, yeah, I, I'm sure you're getting tired of me talking about safety, but like, you know, illegal sales, probably not great. There's lots of mushrooms that look like Amanita, but are not, <laughs> you know, Um uh, so, uh, so yeah, those guys are doing great work. Big fan. You should have Jeff on the podcast. He'd be, he'd be an interesting, uh, interview for you. He's really yeah, good. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I will definitely um, reach out just in, in yeah, terms I'll, of, I'll connect you. That would be great. That would be great. Yeah. Um, so what, yeah, what's, it, it's interesting to me because, uh, I, I honestly didn't know a ton about Amanita prior to, prior to the Wonderland yeah. conference, but saw that there were, a, a couple of booths. Um, distributing products yeah, right? maybe yeah, just yeah. maybe just one no booth. no comment on that one <laughs> there was definitely one booth that was selling uh some stuff uh but it was so 
so look, there's a there's a bunch of mushrooms in the Amanita family, uh, some of which, uh, with the proper processing, uh, again under GMP conditions, uh, can yield a muscimol extract. And muscimol is a pretty well studied molecule uh, that I think has you know great commercial uses, uh, maybe even therapeutic uses, although those haven't been proven yet in clinical trials. Um, so that's cool. Um, there's a bunch of other mushrooms in the Amanita family that are not. <laughs> super safe and i would not recommend eating them in any form whatsoever so uh yeah i i had a few i i had a conversation with the with the wonderland uh organizers saying hey are you sure that these people know what they're selling because um uh, i don't know <laughs> i came I, I came over and i said like do you have a cfa like have you done any chemical testing like guys what are you selling just because it grows in the ground doesn't mean it's safe. There is a, uh, there's a reason. Right. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, and when I did a, a quick Google search of, of Amanita, it's definitely not the most positive uh, things that, that come up, you know, a lot of uh, side oh. effects and, and kind of yeah. nasty stuff. So that's, yeah. yeah. So, so, so along with, along with the muscimol, which is sort of the active ingredient that you're looking for, uh, there's ibotenic acid which is not good. Um, and then there's, uh, it's actually used as a lesioning agent in, in like uh, neurological studies. So probably not wow. great. You probably don't want to consume too much of that. And then there's, there's a couple of other molecules, muscarin and muscazole, all like not good. You don't want to consume these things. Um, now you can, you can convert the ibotenic acid into muscimol. Uh, and that's what psych does, right? So like, that's what they do in their extract. They convert all the cybotenic acid into muscimol. They limit the amount of other materials that are sort of coming out in the extract. And you get a pretty nice, clean muscimol extract that you can use for all kinds of stuff. Personally, I think uh, it's great for sleep, uh, but you know, uh, not making any claims here. That's just, that's just my personal opinion. Right, right. And it seems like in terms of uh, the legality, it seems like there's there's certain countries that have made it illegal, but but like the United yeah. States, it's completely legal. Is that it's correct? Completely, yeah. Yeah. I think I think most countries it's completely legal. Like it, it's not a it's not like a drug of abuse. Like it's not something that people are like, oh man, can't wait to get that extra hit of Amanita muscaria. No. <laughs> um <laughs> So uh, I don't think there's any serious concerns about it uh, from from regulators. Um, uh, obviously, if there are, they'll let us know. The only places where it's it's like illegal is like I think Sweden it's illegal and Australia. I don't know why Australia, but I think in Sweden it was also like a it, it's almost like a PSA like don't eat this thing. You know, there's a real mushroom culture in Sweden. People go out and like actually forage for stuff. So I also saw the Netherlands, which really surprised me surprised me it's like if yeah but i mean it's like they they criminalize like the actual like um psilocybin mushrooms right but it's like truffles are legal so it's like some weird weird loopholes and stuff but dutch (laughs) dutch dutch drug law don't even get me started (laughs) (laughs) right right yeah well nick um any anything else before we wrap up today? Anything else? Any other projects or, or things that uh, you think would be important for the listeners to to know with this whole discussion? Um, well, look. The only other thing I'll say is, if you're working with a psychedelic company uh, that does any work in Canada, please join SciCan Psychedelics Canada. Uh, SciCan P S Y C A N dot org is the website. 
joined SICAN. We just had a meeting with the Minister of Mental Health and Addictions. Uh, we're pushing forward on policy on a number of fronts, decriminalization, of course, but also, uh, you know, better regulatory access for psychedelic companies. You know, we represent the for-profit therapeutic side of the industry and um, uh, always looking for new members. Come join us and, and, and fight the good fight um, on, on the government relations front. Uh, and then stay tuned for more from Formala Biotech. We'll have our meeting with FDA on the 30th of November. We'll uh, hopefully be in clinical trials by next year. Uh, hopefully early next year. We'll see what the agency says. Um, and if you're a researcher looking for MDMA, give us a call. If you got a license, we can sell it to you. Awesome. Where can people uh, find out more information about that? Farmala.ca. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, we have a, we, have, we actually have a web form. If you're looking, if you're a clinical researcher who wants to do research in MDMA, uh, you can fill out the web form and we'll get back to, you You know, usually within 12 hours, just let us know how much you need, when you need it, all that stuff. And we'll send you our investigators brochure and all of our technical specifications and you can you can do some research. That's what we're here for. Very cool. Well, Nick, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, you know, for the listeners who enjoyed the show, um, you can listen to the audio episode on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or most other major audio streaming platforms. If you prefer to see the video episode, you can go over to YouTube, search in Neuroflex, that's N-U-R-O-F-L-E-X, that's the channel. You can see the full episodes on there. So Nick, again, thanks so much. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me.